Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going it's going well we are recovering from a big adventure over the past weekend yeah yes good times were had by all um yeah we let's let's start with that since today is a pretty like chatty chatty day a few listener questions but we also wanted to you know talk about our, our latest adventure it's been quite a while since we've really gotten to do an episode like this because we haven't really had much by way of like big adventures in the last year or so. Yeah, I I would say our listener questions have certainly diverged a little bit from racing. We did do the sort of first races back time trial episode there maybe a month ago or so. Uh, Some of the U.S. races start back into, you know, modified formats and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll say like right now is a really strange time because, you know, races are cropping up all over the place for or in some places. But then in other places, we like where we are in Ontario, we still have no races on the horizon, really. Um, So it's definitely I think it's it's more frustrating now than it probably was last summer in a lot of ways, because if I, you know, scroll through my Instagram, I'm seeing a lot of people like out and racing and, you know, doing cool gravel events and you know, getting into all this stuff. So, you know, if you're if you're struggling a little bit because you're in an area where you can't really race right now, we we feel your pain. It's definitely, you know, tough time. Yeah, we just went through our long weekend here, though, and it seemed like there was a few different types of, of challenges. I saw there was uh, uh, Rebecca Rush's uh, Giddy Up Challenge. So it was like an Everest challenge where you could do sort of a quarter Everest or a half Everest or a full Everest. And this is when you climb up and down the same climb for the equivalent uh, elevation gain as Everest. I did a quarter Everest on Saturday. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the idea. So if you all did that, uh, I saw a few sort of like odes to our eight-hour relay challenge that we usually have in the spring here. So there's there's lots of these things popping up, these challenges. Now, what was your challenge that you took on on our our Victoria Day weekend, our long weekend? Yeah, so for a few months out, we've had this 100-kilometer trail situation planned. There's a, there's a trail up in Ontario, the Bruce Trail, that uh, runs the Ni- like across the Niagara Escarpment. Um, it's, what, like 800K start to finish? They're about, yeah, it varies all over the place, yeah. but so it has, high 700s, low 800s. Yeah, so it's split into different sections, and our friend wanted to do the entire Beaver Valley section in one day, which is, I think it's like 115-ish. Uh, and I decided, okay, a hundred, a hundred sounds like a thing I can do. Uh, previously, like I've done 50 kilometer trail races, but this was going to be, you know, a big one. Um, but yeah, my, my coach, David Roche, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, felt like that was a reasonable thing for me to tackle. So we've been sort of steadily building up to it. And yeah, Saturday went super well. Okay, good. So I, I thought maybe what we could go through today then is just sort of, you know, what, uh, you know, you could maybe tell us how you built up to such challenge. Like, did you go from 5Ks 
and, and just do this? Oh, or, yeah, 5K just off the couch. Or did you do like 90 and then 95 and then 100? Like how do you how did you build up to it? And then, uh, you know, nutrition-wise, how did you sort of figure out what you were going to take in? That's often a problem with running. People don't like to eat while they run. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been a slow build over the over the last I mean, two, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, not having races last summer was almost one of the best things that could have happened for me because it, it gave me a chance to really like strictly focus on just kind of steadily building up a run base in a way that I haven't gotten to uh, in past years. And, you know, lack of training camp for cycling in the winter meant more runtime in the winter. So very slow and steady would be the thing. Like, you know, before doing this, I was at the point where the long runs on the weekend were still like full on trail marathons as like my, my well, long run. But like one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's sometimes the tricky thing is we want this linear like again, 50 kilometers, 55 kilometers, 60 kilometers, you know, building. Oh, yeah, up. You don't do that. And you'll see, you know, a marathon, a road marathon plan might look sort of like that. There's some thought that you should be sort of you know, n- still not going too long because the problem is if we go super long on the Sunday long run, it takes all week to recover. So this is sometimes the, the tricky bit with ultras when we go longer than marathon is, you know, how long can we go and still keep this idea of consistency in mind as we go through training? Yeah. So I think for for me, actually going into this, it was this weird I, w- I want to say, like, I tried to actually approach it very casually. I feel like I was pretty casual about it, right? right? Well, I don't know. This is with these longer things. This is similar to the bike packing, right? Like, at some point, it's it's sort of a little a, a little bit of preparation, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, practicing your nutrition. And then there's a lot of pacing. You know, you can't race the first half of it. Um, and, and then there's also... This is this element of just sort of building, I, I guess, into the day, right? But it's this idea of, of just sort of you got to keep moving. So you keep fueling and you just keep moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was sort of my, my strategy, we'll say, going into the day was just this idea of like, okay, I'm just going to continue to move forward and, you know, try to, I was trying to think, think of like the first 50K as almost like, casual just like get that done and then restart your 50k like okay totally new run Mm -hmm. um and i think it actually it it worked out pretty well like that was sort of my my mental pacing approach was like breaking it into those chunks yeah um and then physically pacing wise i think what's interesting is you get into the higher higher mileages and stuff is it it's less about like watching the clock for any specific like okay, I'm running, you know, 11 minute miles or whatever on trail. But you start thinking about like, I'm just running at this perceived exertion pretty much. Right. Like you're never, you don't really ever want to be going into like the breathing super hard, like on your limit at all, because you only get so many of those in the day. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're saving that because you're going to get there towards the end. You know, maybe you didn't get quite as deep as you might have been, you know, if the last 10K... If I'd been racing. Someone, yeah. And, and yeah. but that's when the race essentially happens, right? Is you're with someone or you're catching someone and then there's a bit of a foot race, you know, to finish it off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you're sort of this gamp, you're trying to build the physiology to 
you know, run as fast as you do at that lower uh, perceived exertion. And, and then also trying to armor your body enough to survive it, right? Like it's sort of this, how do you avoid getting foot injury or, you know, different things, right? Like muscles cramping or, you know, whatever, knee pain. Yeah, it's like almost preventative running more than, you're almost playing defense the entire mm-hmm. time. But it is, it's a build up. Someone asked about, you're like, oh, that was wild. And I said, well, I mean, she's been training for, you know, three years I would say now I don't know if that's how long you've been working with David now is like it three? two and a half but I did my first ultra like three years ago yeah. and I mean so beyond it's, it's always funny because most most of our friends even sort of assume that I've done like 50 milers or done 100 k's before and even even during the run I think I had to say to people like a few times like no like I really haven't done this before because like I've done a lot of running and we've done Ironman and stuff like that right so I've done that time in a sport, mm-hmm. you know, it's like 13 hours. Like, sure. So I went way past that in my first Ironman. That was kind of a disaster. Well, uh, and that's, I think the, the tricky, but that's what I'm getting to. Like it's sometimes hard in these long things because we want to experience, you know, think we, we think that there's going to be some sort of magical experience that happens once we go longer than five hours or seven hours or 10 hours. Right. And I think a lot of it is just the, the breaking down of the body is really the thing, right? And there's discomfort, but I mean, you've experienced discomfort at probably in all different types of situations, right? Yeah, exactly. I think I've probably said this several times on the podcast, but there was one column in Triathlete Magazine probably like 15 years ago, maybe less than 15, maybe 10 years ago. And I remember the the columnist, and I couldn't tell you who it was, just mentioned something to the effect of like, during a workout, if she's having a tough go, she just thinks, I did Iron Man, I can do this for two more minutes. Right. So... I thought about that many, many times throughout the day on Saturday, because um, especially with something like that, where it wasn't, a, you know, it's not an official race. And like, frankly, you had the you had the truck there uh, a few times after like right around the 50 mile mark. You were sort of there the rest of the time. So I pretty easily could have bailed at 50 and or 50 miles and said, this is still my longest run ever. Like, sure. Successful. Done. Good. Uh, and because it wasn't a race, it's a lot easier to do that. So I think mentally, it's actually probably the most mental work I've had to do to like stay in something. Because when you're in a race, you're in a race. Right. Yeah, there's nothing really holding you in except for your own purpose for the day. Yes, and thankfully, uh, a friend coming up behind me. <laughs> Did you f- Do you find it hard in training to, again, I don't want to harp on this, but I know this is a common thing that I've heard from a couple listeners, a couple clients. You, you know, you did a trail marathon there. It was a few weeks ago that you guys did that uh, in preparation for this. And then the next weekend was, you know, 16 miles or something, right? Still a long run, but it's not as, as long, right? It's You didn't burn as many calories. You didn't do as many hours mm-hmm. in the week. Did you find that hard to have this undulation in training where it sort of goes up and down? And It definitely feels weird, right? Like you sort of struggle with like your your badass quotient like decreases you know certain weeks because you are you know starting your taper or you just you just don't ever do like i don't really know that many ultra runners who would ever do trail marathon after trail marathon every weekend Mm -hmm. like unless unless that was a specific thing they were doing where they were trying to do like 30 trail marathons in 30 days but that's different like that's that's, that is the challenge yeah that is their race right um they're not doing that you know, necessarily for the fitness. Exactly. That, that's how yeah. they're using their fitness. 
Yeah, it is. It is interesting. And I'll say that actually the most difficult thing for me was the week before I had like a pretty, pretty intense taper, like, you know, down from my normal, like half of my normal mileage, if that probably even a little less than half. But I knew that for the Saturday, like long run, I needed to be like totally topped off fuel wise. And I think the tendency for people going into a taper is to sort of cut back on their calories pretty significantly. Right. Because it's like, ah, oh, like I'm tapering. I'm not doing much. Like it's, you know, technically speaking, you're burning less. Like you could just go a little lighter. Mm-hmm. But I knew with 100K, I kind of needed to not do that. Right. But that was a challenge. Like it's a weird thing to say, but I was kind of sick of eating by the time, like, by the time it was race, race morning, if you will. Yeah, and you sort of want your body in that like building up stage, right? So you're coming into the race, you know, full as far as your your stores, but then also again, it's nice for the body to have this period of time where it's not, you know, in a hole trying to trying to recover and get back to zero. Well, exactly. Like a taper week isn't just that you're like relaxing so you're ready for the the weekend. It's recovering from all the work you've done the last however many months mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to try and get up on top of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's good. That's a a good race report. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was super fun. Uh, turns out you need to eat a lot. Is the other thing that I've I've realized. Fifty k's you can sort of get away with like. A lot less fuel but when you're kind of over that you're into you need the solid stuff right um, yeah and i mean many in endurance races uh sidetracked or, or lost right because you know you, you can't eat because your stomach's upset or something doesn't agree with you or you just forget to eat because you're you know you were in the fast group for the first half of it and it was so aggressive and you just couldn't have eaten but then you dnf at 51 k's right yeah which is actually like, so I went into it sort of with like a, a multi-pronged fueling approach, which mm-hmm. I think is important for, I mean, any, like if you're doing a long endurance, like gravel race or whatever, like this is kind of a thing. So in my, in my water, I had tailwind. So each like 1.6 liters of water had like 600 calories in it. Right. Um, and then I had sort of my smorgasbord in my pocket. So I had, uh, like gels and some cliff bars and some Snickers bars. And I tried to kind of just cycle between them just depending on what the situation was. So like the beginning I was running, you know, with, with you and a couple like speedier people. So I was more on the gel side of things. Um, but then towards the end, you know, there was a lot more elevation at the end. So I was hiking a lot more. So I was shifting more to those solid foods. Um, yeah, just had a lot of different flavor palettes and stuff. I have to say, I'm going to shout out Cliff Bar here. Cliff Bar gingerbread, so good. Because hmm. it's like just a little different than your normal sweet stuff. Well, and you use an unflavored, uh, I use unflavored t- tailwind. So your drink mix actually isn't sweet. I mean, it's sweet. Don't get me wrong. But it's it's not cloying. And it's it's very mild. Did you just invent that word? No, cloying is a real word. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> like sticky almost. Like it stays in your mouth and just kind of like. Oh, okay. Like just kind of lingers. Gotcha. Okay. Cloying. Word of the day. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Did you have anything else on running uh, or, or in, in this? I think the biggest challenge actually is, is right now as we're recording this, I'm sort of in like a recovery week. And that's actually the worst because I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, tired, but good. And it's pretty hard to have done that and then just be like on the couch all week. Cause you're sort of like, you're watching the mileage, like 
your weekly mileage just drop. Yeah. No, this is all the discipline, right? Is the not overdoing the weekly runs for months and months and months and just the right balance and then tapering down for the race and then recovering from the race. Yeah, it's I had a text from a friend today that's like, Oh, have you have you started running again yet? And I was like, Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, everyone forgets the day after the race. Yeah. It's always mm. the way. Okay, well, let's get into some listener questions. Some are tangentially related to this, but um, yeah. some are not. So let's see if we can find something else. If that wasn't interesting, we'll see if we can find something that's uh, of use to you. Yeah, so I thought this one was interesting because I think there's a lot of ways to approach it. But we had uh, we had one question from someone who's saying, so normally they would be doing a lot of workouts with their partner. Like it's how they sort of spend their time. Like they're busy they, people. They maybe get a babysitter and then they're out. They go for a bike ride or something. Yeah, or okay. hit the gym or whatever. So it's their time together. Uh, but now one of them is injured, which sort of raises a lot of questions. So, you know, for the the non-injured, so the one who isn't injured, how do you avoid feeling guilty about working out or not working out? Should you keep working out without your partner? Um, you know, how do you avoid, if you are the injured person, how do you avoid dragging your partner down with you is how the listener or how the listener phrased the question. Um, but I mean that to say like, if you're injured, does that mean your partner should also stop training and like sure. halt their progress? And then of course there's always the question of like, how do I stop myself from just pushing through the injury and continuing to train, even though I'm probably so making you, it worse. You're, you're injured in this, this case or the spouse is injured. You're injured. Am I the spouse? <laughs> I know. <it's>, <laughs> person a, a is not yeah. injured. Person B is injured. Yeah. No, I think that's, we talked about the first priority is that you want people to get healthy again, right? And whatever that means. Um, so I, I don't think you like persist. Like the, we, Dan John talked about, you don't get injured in training, right? So we don't want to get injured in training. So at the first sign of, you know, overuse injury or anything like this, I think we have to modify the training. And that is hard when you have a training partner or, or you know, this is your time with your spouse. Um, but that's, I, I think that's a no brainer, right? Because if you can't, you know, long term, your, you know, decision matrix here is going to be, you know, don't train and recover this. And then it's, you know, a week or a month, you guys don't get to maybe train directly together. We'll say train, we'll say exercise, we spend time together. Um, but then hopefully you do resume this and you have an entire summer and, you know, lifetime beyond versus, you know, this is the, you know, someone runs until they just absolutely can't, everything shears off the bone and they never run again. Well, that was, you know, now you're not running with your spouse. So that decision matrix looked at from a long-term perspective makes is fairly simple, hard to execute, but simple to think through. Well, it's simple to think through, but I actually, we were talking about this before and I said, I think the best thing to do if I was in this situation would actually be sort of journal out the two scenarios. So really like put pen to paper and write out, what is it going to look like if I just train through this injury and like make it worse? Like get, get serious about it, you know, kind of look through that side and then look through the, okay, I take three weeks off, four weeks off, whatever. Like, how does that look in a year? Well, and that's very black, you know, sort of option a option b you know do, train together don't train together so i don't even think the like train together maybe is you know cycling together let's say it's cycling isn't an option right now but then so then our, our if you want to spend the time together then the other partner might decide the uninjured partner might decide okay well what can we do right so this could range from you know it doesn't have to be athletics right i think as as you know consummate athletes we're maybe 
we like this endurance pursuit, right? But what are the options as far as gym, yoga, you know, it might just be a month of something different, right? Which isn't, that's the whole idea here is that by being consummate athletes, we have access to other disciplines, other sports that let us work around injury, let us work around weather, you know, because this is, I just was going through an intake form for someone and, you know, they're talking about how important movement is to their mental health, right? And so this is, again, the same decision matrix. Like if it's our main way to deal with mental health, then we have to do everything we can to preserve our ability to do these sports and movements, right? So I would say diversifying our sport options is a good strategy. Yeah, so I mean, this could be even walking. Like we're obviously like big. Could fans be. We don't know the we don't know the injury, right? Um, but yeah, if walking was an option, why not? See what happens if you do low, you know, cardio for a month. I bet you could probably come back and feel amazing uh, if you just do a big walking block. If that's an option, again, if this is a lower body injury, it may not be right. But this we could work around this. There's all sorts of crazy cardio stuff you could do but you could also just you know we're doing a gym that you know what can we do for push-ups and pull-ups for a month right mm-hmm. and, and work on it that way get out and spend time in the sun uh we could certainly do that right the other option i'm thinking is you know maybe it's a bit of indoor time so maybe not every day but maybe the spouse you know trains on the trainer indoors while the other spouse can do maybe some again weight lifting this type of thing right yeah, and I mean, this could just kind of be your forced seasonality, right? Like, this is sort sure. of your forced off-season. So, like, is this a chance? You know, this isn't going to be for everyone, but is this a chance to, like, hustle on something else? If you have, like, a big house project that you could maybe be making progress well, I, on? I've or... had a few calls over the last month that are sort of this this thing is like, why are you persisting into this right now? You know, this is an Ontario-centric thing, but, you know, there's not really races urgently coming up so why are we like why not do the the ideal thing right so maybe it is you just take june off enjoy the the weather here and and come back for the summer right and then i see you know july august is sort of we call this base general preparation and you're just on fire all fall and that's when our races hopefully will will return in some form here for the fall it looks like cyclocross maybe uh is back what is our hashtag for cyclocross it's coming. coming. It's coming. Yeah. yeah, maybe this year. So, you know, this could be a really, really great option to take a good break in good weather while the one spouse is healthy, because this is a whole other checkbox. Like, have you ever taken time off while you haven't been hurt? Most people, the answer is no, right? Let alone off days, but like an off week or month, right? And again, you can walk, you can work on your nutrition, you can do some sports psych, you can do some of the deep breathing. Uh, we talked about the HRV for training app. I'm on, I think, 52 days in a row here of deep breathing. Ooh, check you out. Uh, and it's good. It's good. So, I, I mean, I think we have options. There. I think the first thing is just, you know, it, it's probably a good experiment for a relationship to have to do different different things, right? Hard. Again, easy to say, hard yeah. to do. And I mean, I think to the the spending time together, I do think, like, if it is important and, like, if, if the partner who is not injured was making great progress, like, I don't think they necessarily have to completely halt their progress, right? Like, there's a compromise to be had here. Maybe it's, okay, well, we're going to, like, that partner will skip the, like, cycling things that you normally would do together, but we'll continue going to, like, the high-intensity, like, interval sure. training class. Yeah, maybe not every day. And that this might be a COVID thing where, like, you, we've we've maybe seen some couples training more and more because that's your bubble. Yeah. So this could be very tough, but that that could be the the new normal we're working our way back to anyhow, right? Where it's maybe one or two days a week or something as well. Right? Yeah. And sometimes having those different stories from, you know, not seeing Molly and I have run into this where I'm like, okay, I'll come with you to the grocery store. 
Uh, and I'm like, oh, wait, we haven't not been separate. So why don't you go on your own and tell me what happened? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Tales from the grocery yeah. store. Yeah, while you were gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. goodness. Yeah. Okay. So that's better not. We're not relationship counselors, but yeah. played them on TV. Yeah. I do actually really like the idea, though, of doing maybe like even a, a virtual sports psych thing together one of the days. Ooh, yeah, that could be cool. Yeah. Um, and also like shout out, I guess I'm doing a, uh, a mental health webinar for women in Ontario uh, for Ontario Cycling next week. I think it's June 3rd. So uh, that's at 7 p.m. You can find the details on our site, consummateathlete.com. We have the details. Um, so definitely check that out if you want to hear from a few sports so sites like and around June first or when would you next, next week, June second. Oh, sorry. Okay, June second. Great. Oh boy, I think you're still tired from the run on I Saturday. I am not. You're tired. I was afraid. I I was kind of panicked there for a second. I was like, oh crap, is it tonight? But it's not. <laughs> it is June second. Um, that should actually be really exciting. I think it's it's going to be cool because I think most people here you know, sports psych or mental, like mental performance professional and kind of assume that it's, it's not for them, that it's for elite racers or just that it's hard to find them. But I've actually been pretty surprised at how easy it was to find them once I I sort of knew where to look. And I'm excited. We have a guest coming up. This will probably be a mid to late June posting, but sort of in this, this field of performance, uh, you know, psychology, I guess. Uh, but sort of this talking about this idea of the shoulds and should nots and um, one of my favorite books uh, in this this domain. So I I won't spoil it too much, but that's coming for podcast listeners towards the end of June. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Do we want to get into, we have one more question or what do we have? Uh, Two more more little things. Okay. We're just taking a quick break from today's episode to talk to you about Inside Tracker. So you want to take charge of your health and wellness. That's why you're here. You're trying to do all the right things for your body to get more energy, better sleep, and a healthy immune system, and you probably want to improve your performance. And of course, live a healthy, adventurous life for a long time. But it's confusing out there. There's so much information and misinformation, and what works for someone else might not work for you. You want a clear picture of what your body looks like on the inside. A clear measure of whether your diet and exercise choices are helping or hurting and a clear idea of who and what to trust when it comes to health, wellness, and performance guidance. Founded in 2009, Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. The recommendations that come from the analysis are ultra-personalized, and you can choose the ones that are most compatible with your lifestyle. Each recommendation is directly linked to a peer-reviewed scientific publication. And Inside Tracker doesn't just show the normal biomarker zones, they show you the optimal biomarker zones and numbers that are best for your body. And now, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/consummate. That is insidetracker.com/consummate. All right, now back to the episode. Does yard work count as training? And you have a lovely metaphor for this. We also have a, a quick little article we did over on consummateathlete.com about this. For sure. So we'll put that in the show notes. And you can also just sort of look, search on the site for yard work, I guess. Um, yeah, this is really the idea of, you know, what counts as training. Which, I mean, you know, whether you're talking about busy people, whether you're talking about people who are just starting to kind of get back into into sport, whether you're just 
Well, yeah. it, that's it. It's the context, right? Yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, so I, I often say this is like a, a it, it's an individual question. I have some clients, the answer would be absolutely not. And then some, it would be like, yeah, for sure it is. Um, and so some of this, so I often say it's sort of philosophical. It's also a matter of accounting. Like, how do you want to account things? So the metaphor is sort of, you know, at the bank, they'll take coins and they'll take dollar bills. They'll maybe take checks. Like there's a few different things that they'll accept to put into your bank account and then it increases your bank account. Your bank account would be like your fitness, you know, you might call this fitness score or your, uh, in your performance manager, TSS chart and training peaks, right? This is sort of like your, your fitness, like how, what's your work capacity on the day? So at some point stuff just, you know, you can put it into training peaks and you can count it in your Strava or wherever you're counting things, but it's not really money. Like it's not. At some point you're depositing a sock full of pennies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can't go into a store with like some random, you know, statue and be like, here, <laughs> like it's not a deposit, right? It might be valuable to you. Right. I have a, a couple of clients who are just super into gardening and I know May 24th is usually the big, you know, plus or minus is the big gardening weekend. So we have a talk, you know, it might be an off week from cycling. It might be a couple of days, you know, I was super impressed. Actually, I have one client and she's super into gardening. Um, so, so we always account for it, but this year she's actually doing super well. I think she's had a great year just of consistency with COVID and, and the, the lockdowns and stuff, it's worked out okay for her. So she's been very consistent and her fitness is actually really good. So she actually rode way more this week and still knocked out all the gardening without, without really complaining. And she says like, actually the gardening is at like PB levels as well. Like nice, personal nice. best uh, on the gardening. So all that to say for some people, we account it, some we don't, some of it's, it's their like motivation we have to think about, right? Like if it's motivating for you to have walking or um, some of these like lower like things that aren't your cycling, they aren't your running, you know, they're not the money in the bank. If we put them in training peaks, then we have this issue of like, if you garden for five hours, is that the same as you riding your bike for five hours when we get to the start line? Right. Right. So this is what I mean. It's sort of an accounting issue, but we also need to make sure that any of these things we're tracking, it could be just hours in the week right, are, are actually reflective of what we would expect. Because if you're telling me you're working out for 18 hours a week, I'm going to expect you're a certain type of cyclist or, or athlete. But if it turns out nine of those hours are yeah, like, like gardening. I, I can't remember the last 18 hour week I had, mm -hmm. right? So if you're telling me you're training 18 hours, I'm going to expect that there's a certain level of, of fitness there, right? Sure. So we just need to be careful. Now, my lifestyle clients, we, we, it's really whatever they want. We, you know, we, we probably include walking. But I, I often use this test of put your heart rate monitor on when you do this thing. And if we're going to count it as like cross training or endurance training, there should be some elevated heart rate that would look sort of like you're out riding a bike, right? So if you did this at hockey, what would we expect that heart rate tracing to look like, right? At hockey? Yeah. Say someone went to hockey with a heart rate monitor on. What, what do you think that heart rate tracing would look like? Like up, down, up, down, up, yeah, down? Yeah. It'd be like almost like intervals, but there'd be, you know, big long breaks and then 45 seconds for a shift really, really hard. And some of these heart rates are really impressive, right? So maybe that's like uh, like an interval workout, but we wouldn't maybe call that endurance workout, right? Because it's not really the same. Now, if you're, you know, going out for a walk, some of my clients, they actually get pretty good heart rate activation when they're just walking right mm -hmm. there you know these are the more sometimes the health and fitness uh folks but you know that's training great cardiovascular benefit so we can account that right some of these people that are doing 18 hours on their bike 
you know, their heart rates aren't getting like, it's like 80 BPM when they're walking on flat ground. So no, they should do that. It's valuable, but we're not putting that in the bank necessarily. Mm -hmm. So that might be like if they went to the city and they walked around for, you know, the whole day in Toronto or something or in your local city, it doesn't have to be Toronto, right? You might be tired, but we're not going to account that you walked for eight hours into your training week because you didn't ride your bike. Sure. So you might be tired. But that's that's like, you know, a parent who says, you know, I don't want to say that. I was going to say it's like you didn't sleep. But it's in the same way you're tired on Sunday when I say, why aren't you doing your ride? Well, I was walking all day and I'm like really sore from walking all day or doing yard work. So hopefully there's some ideas there. I always say prove it. Like if you're going to count it as aerobic training, it should look like aerobic training. So put on a heart rate monitor. Does it count? I think I have two other things to add to sure. that. Um, the one would be if putting something like walking or yard work in your training schedule is going to get it done and it's not going to happen otherwise, then I do think there is a validity to putting it in your training peaks. Like if you're just, if you know yourself and you're not going to walk unless you can turn that red thing green, then by all means put it in. Mm-hmm. Like sure, you know, it might mess up your accounting, your your balances might be off. Well, whatever but like yeah you, you can, can always, always pull it out later you can yeah and so sometimes that's what i'll do too is note the time in the comments and then pull the actual number out of it yeah but i think sometimes for people to be able to turn the thing green like that's their motivation for actually getting out to walk i know i'm people know this about me i'm a big to-do list person if it's not on the checklist it's not going to happen right so i need to have walking on my checklist i don't need it in my training peaks because it's on that but whatever accounting measure you use, like if that's going to get done, that's going to get done. And sometimes what I'll do too is just a lot of these, if someone's counting walking as training, they probably have a fancy watch of some type. So they're maybe logging it as a walking workout or even a running, a quote unquote running workout that they're just going walking with. Um, But what I'll say is like, could we just set a target, a goal, a to do for 7,500 steps on the day? Mm -hmm. Right. And so there you can still say, and you know, you can send me at the end of the week. This is what I have a lot of the, my lifestyle clients do is just send me the seven day, like rolling average or the seven day tally for the steps. Sure. Right. And this then even accounts some of that because there's supposed to be an activity tracker. You know, we call it a step tracker or step count, but that's supposed to be just how much is your wrist moving around. Right. So yard work should actually get accounted a bit in that, right? Maybe you get some bonus points because the, you know, the lawnmower is vibrating a bit and you get a couple <laughs> extra, couple extra steps in there. Uh, but that's the idea. That would be another way to account it without throwing off your, your fitness, right? Fitness is fitness for the task. So if you're going to go do a big gravel stage race, we probably need to be riding gravel bikes. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Um, and then my, my other point about that is actually like, again, context matters. So you know, on, on Friday before our big run, I did like a three mile easy run and that was great. Uh, my friend who was also doing the hundred K on Saturday, she like did a huge lawn mow. She has a very big lawn. She has a push mower and she mowed her whole lawn. So if she had done the lawn mowing and added a run on top of it, that would have actually been sort of too much, especially because it was super hot on Friday. I was going to say, yeah, probably even much from the exposure as much Mm -hmm. as anything else right so in that case you actually could argue that yard work counted as training so like but in a normal week she wouldn't have counted mowing the lawn as training for her well and she would be in the category where i'd prefer she marked that as a zero but then say yard work took over a bunch of time in the sun prioritized like getting stuff ready for tomorrow and meals um you know maybe there's a step count there just to you know balance it out or something if she wanted but yeah i mean it just 
not every workout has to be done either. Right. And I think that's sometimes the thing is we're trying to look for this like substitute and it's, it's actually better to reflect that you did not do the workout. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because, okay, good. Okay. Well that's, you know, we need to remember that. So maybe for the next peak week, we remind that like the weekend before it's like, make sure you get the lawn cut, you know, days before, you know, so that Friday can actually be really chill. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is sort of a mafetone almost approach, but I, I didn't, I don't think like I ran 50 K much less distance, but it was also, you know, not my longest run, but long in my, I mean, uh, longest in years. Uh, uh, well, two, two years. years. Yeah. Um, and we did a couple longer last year, but yeah, I tend to not really gravitate towards longer stuff, especially as the time goes on here. Um, but all I have to say, especially with running, I think it's important to actually, like, I think you could probably walk most of that week and just really take a lot of that, like, impact out of your body. And I think you'd probably feel fine. You maybe do a couple strides and openers or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them. But I, I think a lot of people, especially as we get older, I think could actually do really well pulling in a lot of that. That might be this neuromuscular, you know, fatigue that we're talking about, right? Well, and even letting your joints just recover. Because yeah. I will say, like, of yeah. anything that bugged me, like my hips and knees felt so creaky. Like I now know what arthritis is going to feel like and it's not great. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah, I guess you you have a good guess at it. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, to me, that's almost like, you know, if you mapped out the number of impacts, the number of steps, this could be steps, I guess, right? You, you would take it like I took over, I think, and then DW and I ran around a bunch. So I think I was at like 65,000 steps Oof. on that day. Uh, so, I mean, I, I probably, I don't know what was my usual week of running, right? Like I've been building up, I'm trying to be responsible here and build up in a, a linear fashion, but it's probably about a week of my running. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and walking, I guess too. Right. So all that to say, it's, it's sort of thinking about what do you need in the day before the event for sure. Mm-hmm. And I guess our, our point here as we wrap this, this question up is, is that sometimes this life stuff, you know, we just need to balance that daily total load right and sometimes it it doesn't account but it counts Ooh, Ooh, nice yeah okay there you go smooth um cool and our last thing is actually not a question but it's just a a new study i stumbled on there was a new study that just came out about probiotic use in a small group of elite cyclists and it was just showing uh that off the bike and on the bike the cyclists who were taking the probiotics compared to the placebo group actually had a lot less like gut discomfort uh so a lot less of like your gassiness, your burping, your vomiting on the bike, and then just a lot less gurgly tummy off the bike. So, mm. you know, I, I thought that was interesting. I know we've we've both been kind of like on and off probiotics for years. We try to eat a lot of like probiotic rich foods when we can. Um, this past week was not a week I was really going hard on any uh, probiotic rich yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think timing's important for sure. And, and sometimes it takes... I've had it actually pretty good, I would say, effect. I, I would say, you know, we're not doctors, so do what you got to do. Check with your doctor and so forth. But uh, I think if you are struggling with with that, you know, certainly you want to look at what you're eating and the, the timing. You know, go back. We had that episode. Uh, what was that one called? The gut book. What was that gut book? Oh, yeah. We had a great athlete's gut. Athlete's gut. Um, and I thought the, the my takeaway from that was that you need to chew your food. Yes, while you're you're eat, sitting and not like looking at Instagram and, and rushing through your meals, eating slowly, chewing. But I thought the, the big switch there was that like while Molly's running this 100K and she's nibbling away on her Mars bar or her Snickers bar, sorry, um, to the FM Corporation, uh, she's chewing her food while she's running or cycling. Right. And I think sometimes, you know, especially as the intensity comes up, we're sort of like throwing it down like a gel, 
but some of these foods, you know, as everyone does the whole foods and natural foods and homemade totally, date, yeah. whatever, you know, you're swallowing a whole date or something, right? Especially rice bars, because it's actually pretty easy to swallow like a lot whole of rice, rice, right? And this is now your gut has to do that job. Not that it's wrong, but your gut is already under a ton of stress from there not being enough blood because the blood's going to your legs and cooling and everything else. So, you know, if we can help that out by chewing more, that was the, my big takeaway from that book really was that when you're taking in solids during a ride, a, a workout, a race to make sure we're chewing it. Yeah. I think that's a so great the probiotics though is, is are, they're just going to help with some of the stress that the guts in. Um, and, and we don't even understand why or how any of this stuff really works. Right. Uh, no, it, gut studies are hilarious because frontier. it's always just like this discussion yeah. where they're like, we don't really know why this worked. What the mechanism was. Yeah. Yeah. So we had that Dan John was on. I don't know if he mentioned it on the podcast or not, but he attributes a lot of his his weight loss here in this last build. He actually, I think, won his weight loss meet there. Not weight loss meet. Sorry. Weight lifting meet. Shout out to Dan John. He, he lost weight in the build up to his, his weight lifting competition. Uh, but he says he that was a big addition for him was more of the probiotic foods, not necessarily pills, but he's, you know, more kimchi, more sauerkraut, uh, maybe something like a kefir. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff about that. Um, Robin Euclid has a lot of really good fermented food re- recipes and some of her stuff. She has a really good sort of um, equation for a good meal. And every meal has at least like a spoonful of something with probiotic. Mm, yeah. In it, which the I really foods like. For sure. You want to take it slow. Yeah, yeah. Especially kimchi, but even sauerkraut, some people just like... Yeah, if, you if, can't if, if you speed into if that. If you're, you're a little nervous around it, just, you know, like a... Not even a, uh, what, a, two, like a, a teaspoon, a, you know, half a spoon, half a tablespoon uh, to start and just sort of see how you go and then slowly building up that tolerance, right? Yeah, so I thought that was that was super interesting. Yeah, that's cool to see it in, you know, an elite group of cyclists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was all really like cat one and up was okay, the, the thing. The cat ones. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, just who needs all the studies, all the cat one males. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they don't perfect. they don't get nearly enough. It's yeah, really rough, okay. rough on them. All right, well, that could be worth if you're struggling with stuff. You've tried a bunch of stuff, but maybe not tried that. That could be worth uh, investigating, you know, eat with your doctor perhaps and uh, seeing if it, if, if, if it helps you. Yeah. And then, I mean, just last before we wrap up on the note of investigating and being your own detective, of course, this episode is sponsored by our, our new sponsor, Inside Tracker. So if you want to actually get some of those like blood markers and everything like that, uh, you know, they're not looking exactly into your gut, but they are checking things like inflammation. And, you know, even you can tell a lot just by how you're absorbing vitamins and minerals. Like, if you know you're eating a really nutrient-rich diet, but you're still really low in certain vitamins, I think that's a good signal that something could be off in how you're like, processing so. and things. And the idea is that you might take this list of symptoms. You know, I have this when I'm riding my bike, you know, digestion this, um, you know, skin rashes, this type of thing. Uh, and then if you get some blood work behind it, then you might have a really good, you know, way to triangulate what, you know, you might need uh, when you do go to a doctor. Right? And this really could be quite cost-effective, you know, you know, or, or more effective, even forget cost. Right? I think more effective, yeah, because a lot of doctors, if you, actually, I, Ellen Noble and I talked about this, we should maybe link to the bicycling interview I just did with her last week. Getting a doctor to understand that you have symptoms when you're performing at a high level, and you've had this issue For too, sure. yeah. like trying to explain to a doctor, like, yes, I'm still riding 15 hours a week, but I don't feel good. They're like, you're a functioning human being like you're you're riding 10 hours you're like yeah but i used to be able to ride 20 and feel awesome right um a lot of doctors are just looking at 
this like baseline of like can you like walk without pain so i think yeah having blood work behind you does make it a little easier to get a doctor to take you seriously and take your concerns seriously right right so or, or even find someone right you know at least maybe who you're looking for yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. uh yeah so if you head over to insidetracker.com consummate you can get 25 percent off anything in their store they have a lot of different options and you know more more cost effective ones if you are on a budget and yeah, I think it's it's really worth checking out. We'll include the link to that in the show notes. Peter, any any last words? No, I think that's great. Keep the questions coming. And yeah, I hope you have good adventures here between sort of our Canadian long weekend and the Memorial Day US long weekend is coming up. And hopefully you have a long weekend if you're not in one of those two countries, of course. Uh, but yeah, that's all we have for this week. We'll come back next week with uh, another guest. Yes. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week. <laughs>